So this evening, I would like to look at two ideas which I think are very relevant in terms of meditation, mindfulness, and daily life. And this is the idea of contact. So the Buddha had an idea that through the six senses, we come into contact. So in a way, you come into contact with sight, with sound, with smell, with taste, with sensation, and as Jenny mentioned, with thought. And then you might have noticed you sit in meditation and one second you don't have a certain thought. And suddenly, poof, you have a certain thought or you have a certain image. And from that contact, at the same time, you have what's called feeling tones. The technical term is Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A. And so the two come together. And, and of course, this is also conditioned, which also come together by perception. So you have the three who comes together. You have contact through the senses. As soon, at the same moment that you have contact, you have a tonality, which might be pleasant, unpleasant, neither, and we could call it neutral. And then perception will play a little bit within the framework of the tonality you're going to experience. And then, of course, we have our reaction or our habitual reaction or creative response to the contact and the tonality and the perception too. And so in a way, basically, what we do when we cultivate mindfulness, you could nearly say we slow down the process, but without slowing down. But just in terms that we say, hey, look at that. Can you be aware of that more? Can we be aware of contact more? Can you be aware of the tonality more? Because generally what happens is that we become aware of it too late. You get kind of caught in something and you react in a certain way which is painful for yourself and other, and you think, why did I do this? And then if you go backward, you say, oh, that was a contact, that was a feeling tone. So that at the beginning will be easier with the mindfulness and the meditation to become more aware afterward. Oh yeah, that's what happened. And of course, what we're trying to do over time is not all the time, so that we can be more aware at the beginning. Oh, there is contact here. Or you could even, in advance, oh, there is going to be contact here. And that contact, hmm, very likely will give me this feeling tone. And if I don't pay attention, I'm going to react in that way. So you might think, hmm, maybe knowing I'm going to have this contact and the feeling tone, I might slightly prepare myself. For many years, I was traveling a lot, teaching all over the place. And I used to have a little difficult uh, relationship with waiting in airport. And uh, also when you are in airports, you know, things suddenly are urgent and you get kind of stressed out. And, and then I started to notice contact being in the airport, feeling torn, unpleasant. And then I thought, how can I help myself? So one of the things I realized that it was a simple one was just to get a few magazines. And then I would sit myself and read the magazine. And actually, it makes things, actually was very simple, but it made things much easier. So it's kind of like, kind of knowing 
So in a way, we need to know ourselves, but need to know ourselves in the world. Because in a way, contact is about how either we impact ourselves, because I mean, we also have, you know, you could be sitting there, nobody is doing anything to you, but you could give yourself a hard time for different reasons. You know, I'm a terrible person or whatever it might be. Uh, that's contact. And that's an unpleasant feeling tone from that contact. Or it can be uh, also a lot from outside. The fact that we constantly through the f six senses, there is input, there is lots of contact. And so the what we're cultivating here is to notice how there is a certain habituation. Some habituation actually is very useful, and some habituation not so much because it creates pain for ourselves and others. And so in a way it's kind of like, can we shift some of the time from habitually reacting to creatively engaging? So in a way, that's what we're trying to do here. The idea is not so that we can become, as I said before, like a radar, so I see more. It's not to kind of, you know, get in more data. But it's more kind of to see what is the effect of that data on us. What kind of feeling tone it gives us. Because in a way, this is what the, the Buddha was trying to point out that we have what he called an under tendency. We have a kind of like a, a deep tendency in terms of reacting to feeling tone. And Jenny talked a little bit about here. We pass cake Tuesday, do we? Or was it cake Thursday? Where do we get cake at Gaia House? Tuesday, we missed it. Too bad, too bad, too bad. Because that can be a good example. But we can take an imaginary example. You see a cake. Let's say a cake you like. A chocolate cake, strawberry cake. In my family, there is, I mean, it's very weird. I, I have uh, two sisters. And one sister, it, it's all about raspberry and strawberry. And then the other one, it's all about chocolate. And so every time we get together for Christmas, New Year, you need to have a chocolate cake and a strawberry cake. So they have really different tonality, you know. One chocolate cake, mm. the other one chocolate cake. Then you tell them strawberry, so I mean, you have the same stuff. That's what is interesting with contact. You have the same stuff, but you have a different tonality because of perception, because of condition. So I don't know if it's my sister who convinced all her children to love the strawberry or if it's just genetic. I don't know that. <laughs> or vice versa with the chocolate. But so you see the cake, if you like cakes, you see, you know, you take your slice, you put it on your plate, you have, so you have, you know, the contact, you see it, you might smell it a little, and then you take a spoon, and then you put it in your mouth, taste. You put it in your mouth, wow, mm. And before you finish to chew it, you already think, I need a second slice. Isn't that interesting? So it's kind of like, because it's really pleasant, I could just enjoy that it's pleasant and I have a good piece and yeah, this is nice to eat this cake. But it seems just because it's pleasant, it's like, hmm, I want more before I even finish it. This, I think, is kind of, that's what the Buddha saw. That when there is kind of like a, a pleasant feeling tone, we want to repeat it. 
We want more of it. We want it to continue. We generally are not too pleased when the, feeling, the pleasant feeling tone is impermanent. We have kind of a little trouble with that. Unpleasant tonality, sure, sure. Impermanent, great, great. But when it's pleasant, that is very interesting. So maybe I'll backtrack a little first. What do we mean by tonality? As Jenny pointed out, we're not talking about a complex emotion, like sadness, joy, or thing of that nature. We're really talking of something very basic, how we have this human capacity, which I think is very good evolutionary capacity, to have that tonality. So you could nearly call it affective tone. We come in contact with something and it has this pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feel to it. Then you have the big question. What is it exactly? And that, actually, they have different ideas. Because in the tradition, some people will say, it's a mental, it's mental, the feeling tone is mental. But then some other will say, no, 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 no. It's a bodily sensation. But actually, the Buddha said, that's what's so interesting with any text, is that you have this wonderful text, which actually is about 108 feeling tones. I'm not going to do them tonight. Don't have the time. But the first thing he says, so he's basically talking about types of tonality, or affective tonality, or hedonic tonality. We're coming into contact, and we're going to feel something. And he said, the first two, bodily or mental. Bodily and mental. So. I mean, this is a question when you have this idea, Vedana, feeling tone, you could think, is it a real thing that I can measure? Don't know. But we could see it as a useful concept, which we seem to experience to a certain degree, which influences greatly what we do. And that's why it's interesting. Can we measure it or thing of that nature? I don't know. I'm involved with lots of scientists at the moment. That's why I'm mentioning it. You know, I don't know. But in a way, it kind of has kind of an aspect which is kind of mental. Like you kind of, it's kind of like kind of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, more like in the mind. Or it can be more pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, more like in the body. Or it can be both. But in a way, what interests us is, you know, as Jenny is pointing out, is our reaction to it. Because there is, as the Buddha said, this automatic reaction. If it's pleasant, I want more. I want to repeat it. And some of you have never done a silent retreat. Some of you are on your second silent retreat, and some of you have done lots of silent retreat. And we can do this too with silent retreat. I had a great one, let's do another one. Because it's going to be great again. Maybe or not. Or I had a terrible one, should I do another one or not? And you might not, or you might. But in a way, we have an experience, and if it's a good one, you know, you have a wonderful weekend together with your friends, and they leave your house, and how they kind of going to their car, and you say, let's do this again. What are you saying? You're saying, let's create exactly the same circumstances so you can have exactly the same pleasant feeling tone. Doesn't necessarily work. 
because you cannot reproduce exactly the same thing because of impermanence, because of conditionality. But you can have, at another time, another pleasant weekend together, but not the same. And so often we kind of try to repeat something, and actually we might not have exactly the same one. Or what I like is about holidays. You know, you're going to go to a fantastic place, and actually before you go there, your tonality is fantastic. Just thinking about going there. I was so fantastic. It was, I is going to be fantastic. And you get there, and then you have the mosquito, and you have the food, and you, yes, you have the pleasant view, but still you get sand, and you know. And actually the experience is nearly not as good as a pre-feeling tone than the experiential feeling tone. And then what is interesting is what is going to be left in terms of the memory. Are you going to remember the actual feeling tone then? Or are you going to remember the pre-one? It was so great thinking about it. That's an interesting one. I have a little thing I do with mushrooms. This is my kind of little mushroom scientific experiment. So I like mushrooms, and many years ago I was in Vienna at the right season, and they had my favorite mushrooms. And it was the only thing I could eat in the restaurant anyway. So there was a plate of chanterelles. So I had my plate of chanterelles, and they were so beautiful. And so I ate each one. The tonality was really good. So we could say eight and a half, plus eight and a half. Then, you know, I finished my plate, and, you know, the very rosy, kind of floating on my little cloud, of a pleasant cloud of uh, chanterelle uh, appreciation. And then I go out, and then I check the memory. What's the memory? What's the tonality of the memory? And the tonality of the memory, I would say, was about seven. Just gone down a little bit, but not by much. Oh, this chanterelle. But then I have a theory about tonality and trying to repeat the same experience. So the next day, we go to the same restaurant, same time, and of course I order the same plate of chanterelle. And then I eat my chanterelle. And it's okay. <laughs> but it's not amazing. So basically, the feeling tone has gone down to six. Then when I go out, I look at the memory. And now the memory has gone down to five because of the second one. And so that's what is interesting in terms of the tonality. Like if we take pleasant tonality, also what is useful to look at is in a way our expectation in terms of when do we notice pleasant tonality. I would say generally we notice pleasant tonality at plus five. If you have scale zero to ten, we generally notice pleasant tonality at plus five. So that when something is plus five, ah, yes, this is fun, this is great. Zero to five, this is ordinary. I mean, that's what should be. So it's ordinary. But then, we do the opposite, but in a different way with unpleasant tonality. If we think unpleasant tonality is zero to minus 10, as uh, Jenny pointed out, the negative bias effect, there you only need minus zero 0.5 to say, no, 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 this is unpleasant. I wouldn't want it. I don't want it. So then we have a kind of a little of a mismatch. It's, li it's nearly like we don't respond enough to pleasant, and we respond too quickly to unpleasant. So there is not, no gradation. And so I would say we have to be very careful not to think that when we talk about practice, meditation, mindfulness, the idea is to make everything neutral, not. Actually, is to increase the awareness of the gradation. 
So actually, we become more aware of zero to five. And we appreciate from zero to five, and of course, from five to ten. And at the same time, we see that there are more gradation within the unpleasant. And so we don't react at minus one, like we would need to respond creatively to minus five or minus ten. And so again, there is a gradation of creative engagement. And so that's why I feel it can be useful to become aware a little about our assumption, kind of a kind of unchecked assumption about tonality and how we react to it and when we become aware of it and how we become aware of it. What is also useful to consider in terms of tonality is change. And for example, there is this uh, quote in the text that as long as a pleasant tonality continues, it's pleasant. But when it stops, it can become unpleasant. And this is we have to a little to watch out for that you could see personally, I see neutral as a baseline. We go up, we go down, and the neutral is more kind of like a resting state, kind of a little like, a, kind of so that we cannot be up all the time or down all the time. So it's kind of more like a resting place. But in a way, if you have a pleasant tonality, I mean, you enjoy it. But when it stops, does it just become back to neutral? Or because the pleasant has disappeared, does it become unpleasant because of that? And we have to be very careful there. Because sometimes it changes fast, the pleasant tonality. And we still, that's what I want you to, to notice tomorrow. Like, let's say you hear a sound. Let's say you hear a pleasant sound. I mean, at the moment, not. but. Time to time when we sit here, we could hear tweet, 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 tweet. The little birdie, not the rooks, a little more. So one can have a different kind of relationship to rooks, but generally little tweet, 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 tweet. Oh, little bird. So what is interesting here is that you hear the little a sound which is pleasant. And when the sound stops, does the tonality stops with it? Or is it like the tonality, there is like a little echo. Hmm, that was nice. And because it's a bird, it doesn't matter very much. So we don't have much kind of, oh, the bird had stopped. The pleasant feeling tone slowly ebbs away. We come back to neutral. But if we have a very pleasant experience, I had this one time. I was kind of done thing with my sister and my mother and shopping and we come back and it all went well and it was fun and great. And then because I was, because you can become excited by the pleasant feeling tone. It has a kind of sometimes an excitable effect. And I thought, oh yeah, let's reorganize all my mother cupboard. And by then she was like, I mean, she's 90 and she was like, and I could see, up. Oh, this is a bad idea. So we stopped doing this, and I left her to rest, and then I went up. But then two hours later, I find myself saying something unpleasant to my husband. We're not done anything. I thought, mm -hmm. what's going on here? And then I, I backtrack. What happened? And I realized I was going upstairs. I, it turned from being pleasant to unpleasant because I had misunderstood and because the pleasant had stopped. And then that unpleasant had spread. And now it was being directed to somebody else. 
It's often we do this. We could have an unpleasant here, but then we transmit it over there, and the over there has not done anything to get it. So that's the thing about the unpleasant feeling tone. It kind of like, kind of go in, and it spread very fast. So, just to notice that when there is that change, to be careful. Up, the pleasant stop. Like old thing, it will stop. It will change. What happened? Does it ebb? Is there something left? Or oops? Does it transform immediately? into unpleasant because it stopped. Then you have the unpleasant feeling tone. And as had been pointed out, we have a kind of really, uh, that's for survival purpose, evolutionary purpose, we have very fast reaction to unpleasant feeling tone. Because we have, we need to, kind of what is dangerous, what is not dangerous, what I can eat, what kind of, etc., etc. So it's very, it's very important to see that we are not in the tonality you have there is no judgment in a way I mean the judgment could come within the perception I'll talk about this more a little while but it's just it happens this is what the thing about it it's immediate it happens at the same time of contact so this is what kind of we're trying to be more aware of you have contact and you have the tonality. And so, of course, this is very important, especially with unpleasant, to be kind of, you know, very fast, to kind of react very fast to something which is dangerous. But possibly nowadays we don't have so many things unpleasant which are so dangerous. So maybe we don't need such a fast reaction anymore. And so possibly the mindfulness, the meditation would help us to kind of have a kind of more creative ways to be with this different level of unpleasant tonality. Because we generally, one of the things we do is we amplify it. This is a little our difficulty with the unpleasantness. Just a little example for I don't know why, many years ago. Suddenly, it was like I had an attack of pain in the whole body. Suddenly, it was like the pain was nearly outside of my body. Like, I have pain in the body, but there was even like, I was feeling there was pain here. So it was kind of like I was a ball of pain, the whole body. And because I'm slightly hypochondriac, it was like, you know, am I at death's door or whatever? And then I said, wait a minute investigation, looking deeply, where exactly do I feel this pain? So then I did body scanning. You might have heard about it. So I checked the head and actually bringing the looking deeply, the mindfulness to the head. Actually, I did not have pain in the head. Then I went to the neck, to the shoulder, to the feet, to the leg, and then suddenly from being there, oh yeah, I realize, yes, I have pain in the hip, which is something I often get, but that's it. It's not like I am at death's door here. It's just kind of suddenly, it kind of came suddenly, so it's kind of like the whole system went into a lure, but actually the whole system was not in pain. The unpleasant tonality was not everywhere. And then with the looking deeply then, ah oh yeah, I have pain here. Then I can take a painkiller or whatever needs to be done. So to see that we have this quick magnifying effect with the unpleasant feeling tone. And, and that's why where the, the, the mindfulness can help us is not stopping the fact that we can experience unpleasant feeling tone. That is not possible. But it can help us not to amplify it. And then it can help us to see, as I mentioned before, is it just light? Can I just wait for it to pass? 
is it repetitive? And then I can investigate what are the the causes, what are the contributing factors, what are the different elements that give rise to it, and then how can I creatively engage with that? And if it's something really intense, how can I help myself to be with it, to not amplify it, and then to make it a little, little less over time? So, in a way, the unpleasant feeling tone is trying to to kind of understand with the contact, because it can spread fast. This is a thing. You could be, you see, we can have, as it said in the text, you have the two, mental and physical. You have the three, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. You have the six, so that you hear something, you can have a tonality, you see something, you have a tonality. So at any given time, you could have six different tonalities. You could see something pleasant, you could have an unpleasant sensation, and you could taste something and it's fairly neutral. So you could have different tonality at any given time. Or one is going to be greater. And then it's like everything is influenced by that. So for example, you get a good piece of news and certainly it's fantastic. My life is fantastic. Everything is fantastic. Or you get a really bad piece of news. And then your friend comes and says, oh, look outside. It's so beautiful. You say, nah, 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 Nothing works, you know, and actually you feel very grumpy. So this, this is also what we can notice, kind of notice, ah, there are different types. There are different elements to this. So it's kind of really the idea of the tonality is to become more aware of that, to become more aware of the content, then to become more aware of the tonality. And then we can also start to be aware of the perception element with the tonality. Because this is what's so interesting, back to my family. Some like chocolate, some like strawberry. And that's habituation, that condition. So in a way, often we might interpret that the tonality is in the object. For example, I like mango. So I think mango are good. And then once I met somebody who did not like mango. And then I said, you have not had a good one. And then I had a good one, and because I'm older, I kind of forced her very kindly to try this good one. And she kind of tried it and said, I still don't like mango. So that's what we have to be very careful, to think that the tonality is in the thing itself, when actually, most of the time, the tonality is because our conditioning or our perception that we developed over time. This, I think, is very important to see. Because I think here, this is in a way where prejudices comes. Tonality is totally, unfortunately, connected with prejudices. Recently, I was... Um, looking on, I don't know, Twitter or Facebook, and then one of these little things. And it was a little experiment in actually tonality and perception. So they had a guy, kind of in his 50s, 60s, kind of looking kind of relatively ordinary type of man. And first, 
they put him in very nice clothes, like very nice clothes. And then they had him fall down. So he put his nice clothes somewhere else. Then he's on the pavement. People, it's a kind of shopping street. People are about. And then, uh, he falls. And then immediately everybody comes and help him. And why do they come and help him? Because they assume he had a heart attack. And they called the ambulance and everything. Okay. Then the guy kind of resuscitate, goes over or somewhere else, and they put different clothes on him. They put kind of like a little shabby, kind of a little so-so clothes on him. Same place, same pavement, and puff, he falls down. And nobody does anything. What people do is kind of go around him, kind of in a very wide circle. And it takes 10 minutes before a good Samaritan finally decides to check, is there something wrong with this person? And why is that? Why did nobody do anything? Because they assume he was drunk and I don't want to get into trouble. So, but this is interesting. You got the same person, but of course you got different clothes and the different clothes are going to bring the perception which then will give rise to the tonality. And so, in a way, we, we have some perception which we can shift. Uh, I lived for 10 years in Korea, and uh, we used to receive care packages. This was long ago in the 70s, and so we used to receive teas. And then the, one of the Korean monks could not understand why we did this stuff. It smelled, it tasted awful, and we all like, ah, cheese, cheese, finally, cheese, cheese. So he kind of, there was a mismatch of tonality and perception. So he decided, okay, I am going to try to tame the cheese. So every day he ate a little bit of cheese. And by the end of the week, it actually become neutral. Not pleasant, but neutral. So he moved from unpleasant to pleasant. I mean, the same thing happened to me with uh, their dessert, which are like rice cakes. And that uh, at the beginning, the first one I had was like chomp, chomp, chomp. I am chomping on plastic. Not very pleasant, chomp, chomp, chomp. And it takes 10 minutes to eat the stuff. And, you, and then over time, you eat it several times and you find a, maybe a better one. And, then you, now I love them. And then I play tricks on my friends. If I am in like a kind of a Asian place where there is shops with uh, Asian food, then I see, ah, rice cake. So they think Martin is very excited about this. I mean, pleasant feeling tone must be really high with this. So I buy it and I chomp, chomp on it and I look like, wow, this is so good. And then I say, you want some? They say, sure. Then I give them a piece, they put it in their mouth, and it's like... And this is because their perception was that it must be good. But because they're not used to eat the stuff, then they put it in their mouth, and it's like, what's that? So that's, again, very interesting in terms of perception and tonality. That actually... The tonality to us seems fairly embedded, either in the thing, either in us. Like when you say, I like this. Or when you have children, I don't like spinach. I will never like spinach. You know, so it's kind of very definite. This is kind of set in stone. But actually, we can play around to a certain degree, of course. This is, we talk, talk in terms of something which is reasonable. So really to kind of like look at the perception and at the tonality. How does it shift? That to me is something I'll talk more about in the instruction tomorrow. And then finally what I would actually like to briefly talk about in terms of the tonality. Then we have the neutral one. Actually, let's talk about the neutral. Uh, 
because personally I think this is a very important one. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And so the quote about the tonality and change, what it says with the unpleasant one is, as long as an unpleasant tonality continues, it's unpleasant. Once it stops, it can become pleasant. That is interesting. You have a headache for a week. I mean, for two months, I was ill with my stomach. I knew it would stop at some point, but every day, yes, it's still there. Okay, so I was relatively equanimous about it. But when it stopped, it was like, ah. And I was so aware it was not, that it was not there. So I became very aware of the absence of unpleasant, which then became pleasant. And then after a week, you forget about it, and then it's fairly neutral. But with neutral, what the quote says is that if you understand neutral, it can become pleasant. If you don't understand neutral, it can become unpleasant. And that, I think, is kind of like a very useful thing to look at. Because I would say, in terms of doing a meditation retreat, where one of the tonality you're going to experience the most is this one. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Time to time a little pleasant. Unfortunately, some of the time unpleasant. But most of the time, it will be like... And why is that? Because nothing is happening. In our life, you know, in our daily life, generally what do we do when nothing is happening? Do we have time for that? Nothing is happening. And nowadays we have our mobile phone, our iPad, nothing is happening. Twitter, Facebook, I do the same. Instagram, you know, you know, it's... Oh, something is happening. Not here, but somewhere else. But something is happening. So, what do we do when... Because, I mean, things cannot happen all the time. Personally, I think one of the advantages already of neutral is that nothing bad is happening. That, I think, is already something. (coughs) I had this lady this uh, Polish lady was very excited of coming to live in England. And she came to live in London, and actually she thought London was boring. Yes, she did, she did, compared to Poland for some reason. But that was many years ago. But then she had a toothache, and then she thought, oh, London was okay, because it was not as bad as the unpleasant feeling told of the toothache. So she could see the difference. But often, if you are in neutral, it's like, <gasps> this is boring. I am bored. My life is boring. And then my life has no meaning. I don't know how we jump from <laughs> my life is boring to my life has no meaning, but often that's what happens. It's kind of very strange, kind of like perception. So you can see how the tonality can shift, actually, from neutral, nothing is happening, to unpleasant and then deeply unpleasant. When actually neutral, I mean, could be restful. And just to be with that. But that's not, that's why we have to be careful that in that quote, the Buddha talks about two different types of neutral. Because often, neutral is seen as a little kind of associated with equanimity. But here we have to be careful of not thinking of equanimity means 
I am on my little cloud and I am fine. Whatever happens, I am okay. You have a little trouble down there? Too bad, too bad. I am okay up here. I am floating. Yes, yes. Too bad. <coughs> but that's not equanimity. The Buddha said there is two types. There is like ordinary equanimity and wise equanimity coming related to this neutral feeling tone. And you see, the first one is ordinary equanimity. I don't care. I don't mind. Doesn't bother me. But he said, the wise equanimity is actually an equanimity which comes from really understanding change, impermanence, conditionality. And then the equanimity you experience is very different. Because the first one is more like indifference. And the second one is like bringing a deep stability, a deep groundedness, a deep clarity to what is going on here. Because in a way, for us to meet anything, we need to be stable. I know the sitting can be a little difficult, but one of the things about the sitting is actually for us inwardly to bring, to develop this kind of ground, this stability. So it's a little like if you had the kind of like a, a ground, uh, a base here within yourself, that it be in your feet, that it be in your belly, that it be in your back, and really feel it in a way you could say centered, grounding, stable. And then by building that, then actually we can bring this feeling of groundedness in the walking. Because that becomes interesting. In movement, how can I bring this groundedness, centeredness in movement? And that's what we do during the walking meditation. And then by building that, when we are in daily life, if something happens, contact, <gasps> maybe unpleasant feeling too. I remember many years ago, I was going to lots of uh, work meeting, Buddhist work meeting. They're no better than any other, I can assure you. And if you want to know if you enlighten, go to a work meeting and remain kind and compassionate. And yes, you are enlightened. And I was at this work meeting, and then suddenly these two people started to have a little kind of argument. And then you could feel, oh, you, could, you know, you feel like kind of some people get a little aggressive. And it, I mean, there was nothing to do with me, but still I could feel the, ooh. And then I could see that if I f just kind of, I had this unpleasant feeling tone, this agitation, little kind of, you know, anxiety. That would not help me at all in the situation. So then I went down to this ground, to this centeredness, took refuge in that, and then I f still felt a little, though, but there was that. So it kind of contained it. And I thought, hmm, what can I do here? And then I kind of suggested this to that, and suggested this to that, to that. It kind of became a little more kind of creative, I would say. So, in a way, the tonality will be there. But if we have, we could say, this groundedness, this centeredness, then we can bring that space around whatever is happening, which might be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And I think I'll stop here. So we just have time for one or two questions or comments. Yes. They all come together. Actually, the way, the, the, the way it would be seen uh, in a certain framework, I mean, you have different framework in the Buddhist tradition, but one framework which really speaks to me is the fact that 
the five things operate together. Contact, tonality, perception, intention, and attention. You need all these five operating together for all this to happen. But, but when we experience it, sometimes we feel it's more the contact which started it. Sometimes more the perception we started it. Sometimes it's just a tonality. I mean, sometimes you don't know any, anything about somebody and you like them or you don't. I mean, the best one is colors. I love colors. I mean, as far as I know, color, colors have not done anything to you. I mean, red has not jumped on you, black has not, you know, kind of, you know, made you full or anything. But look, I mean, I don't know why we have red blankets, but never mind. So I look at the red blanket, phew, I have a feeling torn. If I look at the carpet, I have a different feeling torn. If I look at the black cushion, I get a different feeling torn. Where does this come from? I think it is contact, tonality, perception, and of course, conditionality. I think what really kind of um, influence tonality is, you could say, conditions like, you know, where you're born, your society, your parents, what you've done, uh, if they keep eating strawberry cake instead of chocolate cake, and so many different things, so many different things. But of course, perception is a big one. Like, for example, for me, ice cream. In the summer, ice cream, yes, 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 because I'm very hot and then that cools me down. And then in the winter, if I am in England, I see people eating ice cream. And, and just to see them eating ice cream makes me cold. And I would never eat ice cream in winter, but it's the same stuff. But the conditions are different. And the perception of it is different. So it's kind of hard, you know. It's all this thing together, I would say. So in a way, it's for us to, to notice a different facet of it. That's what I found is interesting. And it's not just because of this or because of that. I think many different things come together. Yeah, so looking deeply at that, seeing the different aspects that influence. And then sometimes you can see more perception. Sometimes it's just like physio physiological. I think that's what the Buddha said. It's also because perception, you see it more as mental, you could say. But personally, I think sometimes it's just visceral. It's just the body reacts before you even think. I mean, I had once I had that, that. I was uh, walking in California, and suddenly I jumped. And my husband said, why did you jump? I thought, I don't know. But then I looked, and there was a little rattlesnake, which I nearly walked upon. And so my body, instead of walking on the rattlesnake, decided to jump before I even saw consciously the rattlesnake. So obviously, uh, there was this kind of like, you know, the, the body-mind complex is not just kind of my, me perceiving something and reacting to it. It was also the organism saying, Whoa, kind of acting. So I think it, it kind of depends. Sometimes it's more bodily, sometimes it's more mental. Okay, we'll uh, stop here and then